Welcome to Mountaintop Conversations with Allison Felix. I am Wes Felix, co-founder of Sage and the co-host of this show with Allison. On Mountaintop Conversations, we celebrate the stories and experiences of leaders across politics, entrepreneurship, and culture. Each guest has scaled their own personal mountaintop and hopes to light the path for others to scale new heights themselves. We're so glad you're here for season two. Today, we get to chat with Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach. Glennon is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Untamed, which is a Reese's Book Club selection. She also wrote Carry On, which was an Oprah's Book Club selection. She's a co-host of We Can Do Hard Things, a podcast that she hosts with her wife, Abby. And Abby is the athlete of all athletes. She is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. FIFA World Cup champion, six-time winner of the U.S. Soccer Athlete of the Year Award. As I mentioned, co-host of We Can Do Hard Things with her wife, Glennon. And she's also the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Wolfpack. And now for our interview, Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach. start off with talking about something that I think that we have in common. Um, and it is about our journeys. And I think for me, my personal life, you know, it is also my brand, which is an interesting thing. Like my, the Nike story, you know, my pregnancy, like all these things that I've been through. It's also intertwined with, you know, the brand of Sage. And when I look at the both of you, I kind of see the same thing. And For myself, I've really struggled with, you know, like, what do I keep private and personal? And then what do I share? Because it's like, I want to be vulnerable and I want to talk about all the things, but I also want to like hold on to some things for myself. So I'm curious with how you guys just navigate that situation. How do we navigate that? This is a good question. It's a question of our lives. Well, because I have made, I would say like a 180 degree shift from my playing days you know, as an athlete on a team, I was representing the whole of us. And also in this weird way, the country, I don't know, it's hard to even like conceptualize at this point in my life. So knowing that I was not just an individual in what I was doing, um, that, that was, that made me think about what I shared with the world very differently than the way that I think about it now, where it is just me and my family and my, my, my kids and my wife. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had a really beautiful experience, um, at the end of my career and my early retirement where I was struggling with alcohol and, um, I had to kind of come clean with that experience in order to get well. And because of that, it's like when you let, and and this is not to say that everybody should let their darkest secret out of their closet. I don't know if that's true for you. But for me, telling that truth saved my life. Mm-hmm. And I have found, I think in almost everything that we try to mine the the, the gold that is within us, right? And and sometimes you have to express very vulnerable, difficult things that some people are like, wow, I can't believe that you're so honest. But the truth is, is my sobriety is in a lot of ways 
indicative of or based on my honesty and my ability to be honest with myself. And then here's the beautiful thing. I don't have to ever worry about what I'm saying out loud out of my mouth, right? Being a public person is a tricky <laughs> thing. But when you're kind of hiding stuff, like I, I was hiding my alcoholism during my playing days, I was worried that that would get out, right? And, and, and all of those things. And so I had to kind of edit things. I wasn't as able to be open and honest. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's kind of how I see it. I'm just, I'm like, I will tell the world whatever. And also Glennon sometimes is like, I think that that's too much information. Yeah. We've kind of switched roles, right? (laughs) Not because it's like too vulnerable. It's just like, nobody wants to know that. Like that's just (laughs) my <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's so cool. And I know Glennon, we want to hear we want to hear your view on it, but I just thought it was, reminded me of something like this idea that there's freedom on the other side of your fear. And I know that, you know, Allison and I are dynamic of brother sister. There's there's a lot of like interesting nuance to that because it's like, yeah, you're family, you grew up together and all of that stuff, but then at the same time, there's things that it's like, yeah, wait, hold on that's my sister. Don't, I don't need to hear about, I don't need to know that, you know, and this like balance of, of how you find, like, how open are you going to be? But I saw something in Allison that really like changed things for me that I feel like, you know, I know Abby, I see it in you. Cause I think about it in my own life. Like when you're open like that, whatever you're going through, somebody else is going through too. And if you really think you're the only person on the planet who's ever gone through the thing, then like easy, you're wrong. But like, as soon as you open up about it, there's somebody else is sitting right there saying, oh my, I can't believe it. They just said that. I remember being about like 28, battling with like severe depression, having no idea what it was, what it was, what it was called. And I remember finding like a random, like, comedian i need to find out who it was one day but he wrote this post on like reddit or something and i remember telling my girlfriend at the time like that that i don't know what that's called but like that's how i feel inside and i don't know what to do about it but like it's that and i think of like that guy that was vulnerable enough to post somewhere this thing changed my whole world you know because now i started to say somebody else feels like i do okay what do i do how do i what do I do here? You know? So uh, just thank you for being brave on that, Abby. It's just, I don't know, there's a little like, ah, pat on the back, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) of course. I mean, the amount of people that come come up to me and are like, Hey, me too. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I felt that way. And not that that's the reason why I was doing it. Cause it was actually more, it was more for my own self's Mm -hmm. freedom, but I think that the proof is that when we free ourselves, we allow other people to also do the same for them and the, the, in their lives. I think it's getting to that place too. Cause when you're talking about just like, you know, you're representing the country and you know, that just so resonates with me. Cause for me, I always felt like I had to be this perfect person, you know, like I am, I'm, I have the USA on my chest and I'm this company and that company. And it's like, you're trying to check all the boxes and then it's like, I'm not being me. Like, this is crazy. And it is that just freeing feeling when it's like, no, I'm going to put all that like down and just be unapologetically me. Like there's just something that is so good about that. Definitely. What about you, honey? Well, I mean, you know that my writing started as I, I, I was getting sober and I 
found the first honest people I'd ever met in recovery meetings. And then I started having so many babies that I couldn't get to the recovery meetings anymore. And so I started writing as like a place to use the voice that I used in those circles and to just see myself. Like, because it's almost, it's interesting to say, you know, brave or perfect. Like I, I wanted to be a perfect person, but then you think about like, what does that really mean? What does a perfect person mean? Like to me, a perfect person is somebody who's telling the truth of who they are. So I almost feel like we just have to change how we think about, um, oh, that person tells the truth. That person is vulnerable. It's like everyone, there's, there's just two selves, right? There's the representative self that we think we're supposed to be saying all of these things and stay on script, like, cause we have the logo on our whatever, but everybody on earth has that other voice. That's the real voice inside of them. That's like, oh, I'm hurting and I'm lonely and I'm needing connection. And so what happens when we tap into that voice is that everybody else gets to bring that real self forward. It's not like there's a few people who are like brave and then a few people. It's just that a few people use this voice that's on the inside and that brings forward. So I think it would just be cool to like start thinking a different way about what makes a perfect person. Yeah, that's so true. I, I like, I heard someone um, who, oh, it was Sarah Blakely was talking about her, her father and how when he'd come home, he'd ask her, what did you fail at today? And I just thought it was so beautiful to think of like how you reshift and redefine success by trying instead of succeeding, right? Like succeed at trying, you know? And I think like kind of what you're saying there, like that idea of, no, we're all, we all have that other voice. We just don't use it, you know, like, and why not? And probably because we don't feel like we're going to be accepted. Yeah. Except that we always are. It's like, we totally. think we're, yeah. we think we're going to be liked if we're, if we're a certain way and then you think about the people who are like shiny and all never vulnerable and we don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> it's don't it's like so them. true. And it's like, literally, you know, you think of like celebrities and the, the ones that people gravitate towards so much, like, like pop stars, you know, like, yeah, we struggle with the ones that we're like, yeah, I don't know anything about them. Yeah. doesn't feel real. That feels so staged. Yeah so fabricated yeah uh -huh. yeah yeah um okay so something else that i've been kind of curious about and i think this idea of like how do you how do the two of you decide your lane and how you balance each other i think in real life for sure but i know in your real life you're you're real people who have all the same struggles everybody else has but like in your public life this like these two different lanes. I know that for me, it comes and I find it super interesting that Allison and I get to do a lot of work together, but we don't have the same profile. It's like for you two, like you're both famous and celebrities and like that's, she's the celebrity. And so like for me, there's so much of my life that is like right behind her, you know? And it's, it's, I was talking to a guy yesterday, a young guy, and he was like, what would you like, what would you attribute whatever success you've had? And I was like, well, I think the thing that I feel like I've done the best was be humble enough to know that the moment in the spotlight is hers and mm -hmm. that I don't need to fight for it. But 
that together, we can accomplish a whole lot more. But the second I feel like I want to be out in front and I want to be the face, we're doing something different now. And mm. we're not like trying to accomplish that goal anymore. So how do you guys balance that, those like flames? Hmm. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm listening to you as thinking about my sister. Mm-hmm. My mm. sister is our, mm-hmm. we're a triangle. Like yeah. we, there's no me and her without sister publicly. There's no, we, we do everything together. And so there's a lot of that, that negotiating of, it, it's, it's like no less important. Like, it's funny. I don't know. My sister and I have no idea whether I'm the boss of her. She's the boss of me. It's like, yeah. I think she's the boss of me, but yeah. I'm not sure. I would say if you're unsure, then she is the boss. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, I don't know. We have this interesting situation where we were two separate things in the world and then we got married and we became this third thing, right? Mm -hmm. So the other thing that's interesting I think about us is that our work in our life and our family is the work that we do in the world. We don't really have a public life. Like we, we just think and talk all day about life and love and communication in the world. And then we go on our podcast and talk about it there. And that's it, Wes and Allison. Like, we don't do anything else. Like, we don't go. Well, one thing I would say, I'm, you're completely right. Maybe it's me that doesn't do anything else. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay, yeah, you do. She does that. Let I, her I answer this one. Part of work. <laughs> um, you know, when I retired, um, I did a speech. I put out a book. I was traveling a lot, book tour. The book kind of gave me a platform to be able to become this professional public speaker. Uh, And so that's kind of what I've been doing since I've I've retired. Obviously the podcast also, but when Untamed was getting published in 2020, we had to sit down and figure out and negotiate new ways that our family is gonna operate because we all, we work together, we partner together, we parent together. So there's a lot of um, together. There's a lot of togetherness there that can get confused, right? And so we knew that Untamed was. Um, we felt like it was possibly going to be pretty popular and <laughs> could make Glennon quite busy, right? Um, and so I took that as okay. This is this is Glennon's Olympics. This is her. She's got she's got this really important thing that she's spent her life creating and I have to be in support role, right? That's what I have to do. So I mean, what she's talking about, I did three to four interviews every single day for a solid year. Yeah. It was intense. It was a lot. And it was all over zoom because we were all at home with with COVID. Um, and so I, I had to make a mental shift, but it was super easy for me only because I knew how many people in my life were supporting me to mm-hmm. be to be at my best for when the Olympics came around, right? So interestingly enough, it just worked. I mean, I, I was more like tickering, we call it tickering with the kids, thinking about getting the kids what they need, making sure the kids were taken care of so she could be all in. And um, I was tech, I was like the, 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 the tech person getting her on all of these things. Feeding me. 
And what I think is important is when you have a vision for future or for or a goal for business or whatever you're 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 partnering with someone on, if you're still in line with the vision and and the outcomes, right? If you still have and you have to negotiate it. It's not like oh, we've never, like, we talked about this a lot, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I, and it had to come from me, the person who knew, felt the situation, saw what was going on and said, Hey, I'm going to support you. So I didn't do as many interviews, um, mm-hmm. or as many speaking engagements that year. Um, 2021, it changed a little bit. 2022, um, we started the podcast and, and then we're working together again, And what's interesting is I've taken a lot of my time having played on a team and having been the role, the the lead role, essentially, the goal scorer, the person everybody looks to, the captain, the leader, I have found in the podcast space, Glennon has a different level than me. She is the lead role. Mm -hmm. She has... She's more eloquent with the shit she says. She's <laughs> she's smarter in some ways than I am. And I have to bring a different perspective. I have to be myself, of course. And so I don't know. There has to be some sort of conversation with your own ego having to do like what what is this all for? And yeah. maybe phases. Like before Untamed was Wolfpack. So at that time she was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was in that supportive role. You know, I wonder sometimes if sometimes I see same gender couples struggle a little less mm-hmm. with the shifting who's in front dynamic. Hmm. Um, because it feels, I don't know, if it's just like internally conditioned that there's more resistance when it's a male-female relationship. I have seen my friends who are in different gendered marriages struggle more with it for whatever reason. But we are able to, and and I think both of us love stepping back so much (laughs) that it's like, there's nobody that's like, yes, I want to be the one doing all the work. (laughs) Like neither of us. The world decides in some ways. They're like, the (laughs) world was like, okay, we're going to keep the untamed book on the New York Times bestseller list for 100 weeks. So, I mean, that's just good evidence that like maybe- Maybe it's not just the book. Maybe it was the support. The support, also. the team, yeah. right? Because it's like- It's you, so true. Yeah. Like, you know, like the team is so important. I think that like sports landscape, you know, you can't do it by yourself. I think that also that idea of that honest communication, you know, I always say when people are like, is it hard? Like, you know, it's all about Allison. And I always say like, it's really not because because of Allison, because she doesn't act mm-hmm. like it's all her right you know and it would be super hard if she did if she was like i'm the important one nobody cares about you your ideas are stupid they were basically just my ideas anyway i just didn't have the time to think about them yet right. and you know but that's not her and um and it is it's really cool to like see that that together part that communication part and um and I also agree with what you're saying on like, it would probably be harder in opposite gender, you know, relationships, because I think that's something that men sadly really struggle with, that the there's, we are so fragile, our ego is so fragile, you know, and I think a big part of it is because 
we don't have as many spaces to do this, to actually open up and say like, yeah, last few days have been hard. I'm really sad. And have somebody who listens to you and hears that apart from maybe your partner. And, and even then, I think a lot of guys are really scared to share that even with their partner. But um, go for it, Tissy. I think once you do get it right, it is such a beautiful thing. Like, you know, the teamwork of it all. And if you do deeply believe in whatever the thing is you're trying to accomplish together, then it makes it easy. But I do think the the part of, you know, these roles that the world expects you to play, you know, and, and what a man should be doing or what a woman should be doing. I think that we've so bought into those that it's hard for people to step back and say like, okay, we're not going to do it that way. Like that doesn't work for our family. Like we can restructure what this looks like to get to that end goal because it's like we're on the same team and we're trying to accomplish those things together. So that definitely really resonated with me. Let me just say one more thing about that because I think that the, the moment that it became possible for us, it wasn't, it's not just roles. It's this thing that happened where we had a moment. We have, I have an ex-husband who co-parents with us. And I had a moment where when Untamed was going wild and I think Craig had texted me that morning to say, I know it's crazy. What can I do? And then Abby came into the, the office and said, I know it's wild. What can, what can I do? And I had this moment of like, well, what everybody can do is figure out what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. I I figured out, oh, here's why women can't do this. Because our partner says, go do all the things. And then also all day, can you tell me what to do? Like, can you tell me what needs to be done? There's this emotional mental list. That's why she said ticker. We call it tickering. It's like this... See, well, you guys would say ESPN ticker. Yeah, on, this on the bottom, podcast, the ticker right? on the bottom of ESPN. Right. So it's constantly every single thing that, you know, get, call the daycare place, do to the, get the groceries, get the diapers, get the, do, 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 uh, the friend that they're having a fight with at preschool, whatever. The constant thing that's in the woman's head that is the load of everything. The partner thinks their job and what they're, what they're supposed to be doing is to just keep coming to them and saying, what do I do? Give me something from the list. But what that presupposes is that one person is carrying the list and making the list and knowing the list. You just like unlock something. I feel it so much at work all day long. Like my job is to tell people what they're supposed to do. And then in my personal life, like when a friend comes and says, I know you have so much going on. Just tell me what I can do. Like I'm, I'm like inside, I'm angry. And I'm like, you are missing me so much, right? I make decisions all day long. Like, I don't know, figure out what I need. I have, she's uh, my executive assistant and it was my birthday maybe a couple of years ago. And she was thinking, she was like, what should I give him for his birthday? And she gave me a nap, a nap. She was like, you know what I think he would want more than anything is a nap. And then she was like, but how can I make it like special? And so she found a sound bath that was outside in Malibu up on a mountain Uh, and it was a nap with a breeze. I was like, yeah, that's like literally Allison knows I'm obsessed with breezes. Like, (laughs) so like a nap with a breeze, like game over, like the best thing ever. But I think it's like to what you're saying, it it does, it still implies that one person holds all of the things. You've got all the answers and the other person is willing to take something off your plate, but it's like, I need you to hold it with me. 
Like it's our plate. You should also know what's on it. It's our plate. And I would just say this, when Glennon informed me of this behavior, it was very confronting for Mm -hmm. me Mm because I'm like, well, I'm willing to do anything. Just tell me what to do. Right. Like that, that was my mindset. You're, you're the mama. I'm the support staff. Like that's how I was kind of thinking of the way. And she's like, no, you are also the mama. Like, So what I need you to do is we need to sit down and talk about the ecosystem of our whole family from education to doctors, to sports, to friendships, all of it. And I need you to also carry the load. And I was like, okay, so now I actually spend, I think maybe I take her more than you. I know it's a freaking, (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 you know, it's just, it's really important. And also guess what it does for me? It makes me feel I'm not only more engaged with my kids, I'm able to have conversations about everything that's going on in their life. It's not like very specific to the one thing that I know. It's like, I know what's going on with so-and-so's friend. And I know that so-and-so, oh my God, they like so-and-so and, uh, and I'm in it. And that brings me more present mm-hmm. with my family. It makes me a better partner. It makes me a better parent. And guess what? It doesn't take that much more time or effort. All it like literally sit down and just think about your family's ecosystem for five to 10 minutes a day. Think about yourself. Think about your schedule. Mm-hmm. Think about your kids. Think about their schedule. Think about what they're into, what they're thinking about. It's yeah. just, you got to figure out how to do that. I just feel like there's also this thing with athletes Right. And especially, you know, Abby, you and Allison, your level of athlete success comes when you listen to a coach and do what that coach tells you to do. That's like that's what they tell you. Right. Is like, oh, you're coachable. I can tell you to do the thing. You can control your body enough to do it. You have the discipline to do it. Like that's how you become a superstar. You listen to someone else's plan. And I remember having this conversation with Allison towards the end of her career. And she would come to me and be concerned about like, I don't know if I'm getting exactly what I need from my coach at this point of the season. And I remember telling her, one, you come to me. It is within a six-week window every single year for eight years now where you've said, oh, no, I'm not getting what I need. And I was like, it always happens between April and the middle of May. (laughs) And I was like, every year you do it. Like, and you're just scared right now. Mm -hmm. But you're not a kid. You're an adult. You have all of these, you know what you're doing. So if you think something's missing, you need to hold some of the responsibility too. go talk to your coach as a partner and say, hey, now you've got 15 years of experience more gold medals than anybody else. You're, you're a bit of an expert on this topic too. Like, what do you think is missing? Go talk with him, go tell him, um, instead of just following, but it feels like for athletes, that's hard. Do you, do you ever find that Allison sissy? (laughs) Definitely. I think that it's just what I've done forever. You know, it's like, it's been me and that you feel like you get it right when you're when you're coachable and when you're following along. And it's just like, I think that in so many parts of my life, you know, during my athletic career, I fell into that just like, okay, I'm just going to do what I'm told. I'm just going to listen. And and then I think it was like freeing at the end where it was like, no, I can take some ownership to this, like, and just trusting myself more too. 
um, that I do know what I'm doing. And I think that it's kind of a hard place to get to, but it's just like that confidence and and I've been doing this for like the majority of my life. Like I, I think I do have some authority here as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Glennon, what about your athletic experience? Do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> I've never had a coach in my life. If, somebody, if, if anybody ever told me to run, I would laugh. <laughs> so I think what you're, what you're saying here, Allison and Wes, I think that on the surface, right? I think it's all true. But I think if you were to go a little bit deeper, we are made to believe that we're coachable, right? That's a way to keep athletes on a regimen, a schedule, on track, Um, you know, because so many of our statistics and so many of the measurables about our training are trackable, right? And if you're doing X, Y, and Z, then you will based on all of the historical evidence, you will be sitting on the top podium at the end of the Olympics, right? And in order, somewhere in our psychology, somewhere in our beings, we're like, we give, we think we give up a sense of ourself in order to get on that podium. And we, we attach ourselves to certain coaches or certain teams to give us that better chance, that best chance of being on the podium. But I do believe that from the time you first put on your your first pair of track shoes, that there is the relationship between you and coach, and then there is the where the coat where you are looking at the coach, you're you're getting information. The information is now coming back to your person, and then you have to internalize it. And the agency in that is what makes you different than somebody else who doesn't get to the top podium. It's not that this coach is the best coach in the world. Mm -hmm. Because by the way, I've had dozens of coaches, all of whom could have taken me to the top podium. Yeah. What's the common denominator there? It's you, it's me, right? And so I think that as an athlete, it's the coach's desire to try to get us to not trust ourselves and to trust them more. Mm -hmm. And that is systemic power. That is how power works, right? and I really think it's important to remember we had to interpret that information and utilize it and input it into our bodies to produce, right? And that's the same thing with everything. Yeah, I think that that idea of internalizing and then it being you, I feel like I remember our dad telling us something similar, like really early in Allison's career, you know, about not forgetting kind of he didn't put it this way but not forgetting where the magic is Mm -hmm. and i feel like we're so quick to not see our value right (sighs) like we're so fast to be like no 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 it couldn't be that you wrote an unbelievable book it had to be that well it launched during the pandemic so people are staying inside and maybe that's why they're reading it. like it's there's always these excuses for like well, I didn't think of that one but thanks Wes sorry sorry, sorry. <laughs> that is probably it no not at all <laughs> but I know like Allison would always say like she'd win a race and she'd be like yeah but so and so wasn't in it and I'm like uh... yeah they weren't in it because they didn't make the final like yeah. those are the rules you have to make it through each round it's like you know um, she's like, yeah, but like her hamstring was hurt. I was like, yeah, that's part of it. Like you got to stay healthy all season. That's part of the game, you know? So, um, yeah, I love that. Thank you.
So you guys talk a lot about doing, you know, so many parts of your life together. And I want to really just talk a little bit about your recovery journeys and what has what has that looked like separately, um, but also how you have each supported each other as you've gone through, you know, this part of your life. I mean, it just keeps going, Allison. It just keeps <laughs> going. Um, I mean, we, so when we met, Abby had been sober for a short time. I had been sober for, I guess, I don't know, 15, 15 years. years when mm-hmm. we met. Um, and so, and our, our recovery journeys were very different. Um, I thought that we were done <laughs> with recovery. And then um, six months ago, I was diagnosed with anorexia. And so I've been fully back in recovery for the last six months, like fresh recovery it all feels brand new again. Um, and that was, Abby was just absolutely in lockstep with me in the beginning parts of that and helped me get to help. Um, and has been just, I, I, I sometimes, I think I've, I've, I've been, uh, I've had an eating disorder since I was 10 and I thought that I was cured from my eating disorder, but I think what happened is that I just, fixed my bulimia with anorexia instead of actually getting the treatment that I needed. Um, And so it's a little bit exhausting and frustrating to be starting over at 46 in recovery. But um, I think this is the final frontier for me. This is like the real work of my life. And I was talking to a dear friend recently about how annoying it is that it I'm starting at 46. And she said, but you know what? We don't get the real help. We don't do the real work until our life is at a place, a safe enough place to fall apart. Like when else would you have done this? In your first marriage, when you had three tiny children, when you had just gotten sober, when you were building this thing, like now is the time where you finally have a partner and a life that is stable and and strong enough for you to deconstruct yourself enough, let go of this thing. So it's fresh again for us is what I would say. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess I would just say I'm coming up on my seventh year of sobriety. And the truth is, is um, I had never met a sober person until I met Glennon. (laughs) (laughs) You know, being in the, the sports world and the environment that I created, like most alcoholics do, um, I, I surrounded myself with a lot of folks who partied. Like that's what we did when I went home and I was off and I was on break. And so when I first met Glennon, I, it it was like, almost like I, like she was like something that I, I had to just keep making sure she was real because how does somebody live sober? I thought, how does, how is she do? Like, she seems very happy. And that was my concern when I was never wanting to get sober is like, how can you be happy? Like, how can you have fun? What is life for? What do you wake up for? Yeah. And so watching her go through sobriety made me see firsthand how it was possible. You know, when, when, when you feel like you are climbing a mountain, which is what early sobriety feels like or early recovery feels like, um, you look up and see who else is on that mountain. And Glennon was pretty far up that mountain. 
right? And so I just kept going, okay, well, she's if she's up there, I can get there. Yeah, she's like, I'm Abby Wambach. Look at her. <laughs> not even, if she can do that. She's not even an athlete. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's so weird now to think back, not just in the journey, but the different person I've become. What I have found that it brings to the surface all the things that you're afraid of doing or not doing or becoming or not becoming. And it gives you the space to do whatever it is you're going to choose. So one thing that I can't imagine not living without now is waking up knowing I'm going to feel good. Mm. Like that is such an extraordinary gift that I give myself every day. And it's such a, a moment of gratitude that I'm like, Ooh, no hangover. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like what that does to my brain chemistry and to my body chemistry is it makes me go, okay, like what, what are the other things that I'm, that I, that I didn't even give myself access to. Right. And so it's been a beautiful, beautiful journey. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're in it a little bit with, with Glennon's um, recovery right now, but you know, there's, there's absolute positivity around here. She's doing yeah. a wonderful I mean, job. It's a way of life. Yeah. way of life. Yeah. It's not, I think people think of recovery as, or sobriety, like it's just the absence of something. Mm -hmm. Sobriety is the presence of so much. It's, it's mm -hmm. like a, it's a way of walking through your life. It's not just not doing something. It's the reason I'm obsessed with really like the, that way of life and why even this new discovery that I was using controlling food as a blocker to connection because addiction is just feeling like life is too much, feeling like connection is too much, feeling like it's all too much, and then using something to block the muchness. That's <laughs> cool. all it is. And so what you do is when you take away that thing, it's just like suddenly you're dealing with life on life's terms. Yeah. Very few people are doing that, mm -hmm. right? All of us, like I tend to be dramatic about it with like the booze and the drugs and the anorexia, whatever. But like everybody, you know, people keep their heart closed, people overshot, people uh, – there's a million things that we do to block ourselves from the life of life. Mm. And so sobriety is just a daily commitment to facing life and people on their real term, like the starkness and gorgeousness and beauty and brutality of it all without any defense mechanisms, without any numbing. It's a pretty amazing and hard and – I can't imagine life any other way. Yeah, I think that like Allison and I grew up in an environment, Abby, like looking at yours, like you weren't around sober people. Like we were only around sober people. Like never, I remember being like 11 years old and being over at one of my friend's houses. We went to Christian school. So like everybody was on the same page. There was no alcohol anywhere. This is middle school. So we weren't thinking about alcohol as like kids, but, and I remember my buddy and I saw beer in the trash can at his house. And we went to like a alarmingly conservative Christian environment. And I think I've told you about this before, but like, we literally felt like we needed to go and confront his dad. Because they're this like Christianese word confront. We were like, oh, we need yeah. to go, we need to go talk to him. We were 11, right? And there was you like, you felt led to, you oh, felt convicted like, to go talk to him. Convicted, yes, to go and tell him, like, <laughs> so this is gonna be, this is gonna be tough, but you know, we, we saw some beer. Uh, and I know you're 38, but like, 
I think we need to talk about this. Um, and, you know, like that was our environment. And I think that like what it led to for me was having no idea, like no idea, all of those other things that you just referenced um, of eating disorders, anxiety, like all of the other ways, self-harm, like, and I found myself in this place of self-harm. I didn't think eating disorders, like this is so naive. Like I didn't think guys could have eating disorders. Like that was just like women could do that. And then as I'd have friends that were like, yo, you lost like 30 pounds. And I remember my family extended family being like, what are you up to? This is great. And -hmm. friends being like, what's up? Something's Mm -hmm. going on. And, and I think exactly to what you hit on Glenn and like, it's control, right? Like your life is spinning out of control. So how do you do something to control it? Self-harm. If I could, if I could hurt myself and I didn't have to feel this other hurt, if I could control, if I could feel hunger pains, well, that would be better than this pain. And look, I'm, I've got it. I'm in control. I can step on the scale and I know my weight within a couple of pounds. If I'm going to drop four, I know what I do. If I, like, it's me. I'm running the show. And then realizing, talking with my therapist and realizing, you know, addiction is avoidance. And there was a lot I was avoiding. And then also, it's all the same. And so it, it gave this compassion for me that was, I'm no different than the heroin addict. That's it's exactly... Right the same. And, you know, and so then I could see that person for who they were and see them exactly as me. Mm. And it became this like much more beautiful thing that like, you know, that is a part of our journey. But I say all of that to say, how do you define recovery? Mm. What is recovery? I I, I think of it as literally a recovering like recovery in terms of like a resurrecting, a, a saving of like the original self or the original way that we were meant to experience life. I think of recovery as returning to the little girl I was before the world told me who to be. Mm-hmm. You know, because I started drinking and eating and overeating and all the things because I was a deeply sensitive kid who did not live in a family or culture that celebrates big feelings. Yeah. Right. Also, maybe you were just responding correctly to your environment. Yeah. This is the new therapy I'm doing, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I wasn't a canary in a coal mine. Maybe the coal mine was bullshit. Totally. <laughs> okay. Totally. totally. So – yeah. There's that too. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to be someone in recover. Uh, recovery is also about looking back at your life and seeing things a little bit differently and changing narratives. Okay. And it's very interesting to change narratives when your job has been for decades to write in black and white your narrative. Mm. And so my whole life is like writing a memoir and being like, I think this is it. And then five years later being like, wait a minute. Okay. Okay. You guys, here it is. Here it is. Five years later. I think this is it. Here's a new one. <laughs> and then five years later, me like, Wait. The brain of a memoirist. <laughs> this is why Jesus like only wrote in the sand. That's right? your magic, though. I mean, is that? I think that I prefer the word sobriety to recovery um, only because I think it's because I was born and bred to be an athlete. 
And to me, recovery feels like that it's something that's ahead of me that I can't reach. And sobriety is something that I'm carrying with me every step. So I would, I, I prefer the word sobriety. And I also believe that Glennon, I'm going to steal this from her because we've talked about this a lot. Um, my best definition for sobriety is peace mm, is, so good. is, is real deep down true peace. And that, you know what I mean? Like when I'm talking to my family of origin and all this old stuff comes up, which is partly how the whole system starts to get going in the addictive paths. My peace is my spread. It's just, it's not about not drinking alcohol. Mm -mm. It's like, oh no, no, I actually have to create a life that promotes peace, that keeps peace. And so, you know, I've had some struggles with my family through the years. And once I, I've just now started to feel confident enough to not call them if, or get in touch with them. If I know that conversation is going to compromise my peace. Mm-hmm. I have to I have to be a different kind of person to be able to enter into that conversation. Yeah. And that's the work that I'm always trying to engage in is to become a strong enough person so that I can maintain peace. Move to Glennon's favorite topic, the sports. <laughs> and I love watching you guys just <laughs> live this together. I think it's just the best when you know you have Glennon trying to figure out like what is going on. You have Abby pacing. Like it's just this beautiful thing um, that I think so many people can relate to in their own lives. <laughs> and Abby, I know we've chatted about this separately, just life transitioning from professional sports. Um, into this real world and what that looks like. I know for me, it has been so different. It has been a struggle, Um, even though I feel like I'm doing all the things that I want to do. And it's just the change has been so massive. And you have really helped just give me, you know, gems and nuggets of how to kind of navigate that. But I just want to talk to you about your experience and how that's been and how, I mean, from the outside, it looks like it's been really effortless, but um, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> no, I I appreciate this question so much. And I had this beautiful moment right after I retired where I got sober. So I, I have this, this thing that is like a before and after, right? And that has been really helpful for me um, in terms of the transition from sport to the quote unquote real world. Now, five years ago, I mean, I've, I've been retired seven years now, five years ago, I would not have been able to come up with this. I've just actually come to understand more about what needed to happen through those first couple of years. Cause it takes a while to get reacclimated into a different life, right? That that's just true. Nobody talks about transitions enough. There is no like go to like step rules system that will help you. It's truly a dying of an ego. Mm -hmm. And the ego is the thing that allowed you to propel through your career the way you did. There's a lot of selfishness in there. There's a lot of narcissism, um, like a, a fake it till you make it kind of way 
um, monomaniacal, monomaniacal. (laughs) Yes. Like there's such an intensity that was required of me and you, Allison, that is no longer serving my future life. Now there's still, there's little nuggets, little parts of it that I can draw in and use in my, my current life. But I really had to kill off that part of myself. And, you know, there's probably a better way of saying that, Glennon. Would you say that? Yeah. (laughs) I had to get right with having had done something extraordinary. Yeah. And also realizing I am not superhuman. Mm. So many people want to coin athletes who do great things as superhuman because it makes them feel better about themselves. (laughs) I, I actually just think that that's true. Like, well, they're just superhuman. There's no way I could do that. I'm just a human. It's like, no, we're all human beings. Some of us are able to do certain things. I'm not able to code. I can't write a memoir like Glennon writes a memoir. Like there's just shit I can't do. So the transition was hard. One of the hardest parts was having built this thing, helped build this thing, the national team. I took the reins and we all did the thing. And now I'm leaving and I get to watch them on TV. And watching them early days was so hard Mm. because I felt like I was still in it. And now watching them is so great because I'm just a fan. Like I'm just like their biggest fan. But there's no part of my body that feels like it could even perform at that level anymore. I am older and I am slower and I am (laughs) wider than than, than I was back then, right? And so the transitions are really hard And I had to get really true and right with myself around what it all meant because it wasn't all great playing the national team. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to like fantasize about what it would be like. And I had to only look at the positives in order to stay in it for so long. But what the transition has looked like too for me is to get really honest about what it was. Mm to get really clear about why I did it and why it was important. Cause I was the type of person at that point that I needed to do that for myself for some reason. Transition into the work life is hard. I didn't know how to calendar like my agent years and years ago, right after I retired, he brought me. I was there for this. Like I was scared. We had this little Abby summit. Like what is Abby going to do? Right? Like we had, I had sister there, our sister, I had my agent there and he pulled out his, his phone and he was like, so this is how you calendar. And I was like, wait, so what are all those dots on your iPhone? He's like, oh, that signals to me that I have something that I've got to get done that day. And I looked at him, I said, you have some, you have to do something every day. <laughs> and he was like, yes. And so do you, by the way, I just texted him. <laughs> so like, just know that this is, this is actually your schedule. Right, right. That I'm looking at, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Cause I was only looking at like one day increments. Just tell me what I need to do today. Yeah. Don't want to know what's going on in a Which month. Which is what Wes was saying. Like yeah. you're used to somebody saying, do this, do this. And then mm-hmm. you get to the real world and you have to figure it out yourself. Really good at following directions. Yeah. <laughs> really good at following directions. Um, Allison, do you, how does that resonate with you? And at you being at a different stage in your transition I think like we've been able to have some of the honest conversations of you know where you feel um kind of like forgotten and thrown away and and hurt I think by like leaving the sport and how does it resonate with you this transition 
I see myself in the beginning phase of what you talked about, where it is the difficult part where you're still trying to like figure out how you move away um, and not have a sense of bitterness um, and want to have joy for like what's still happening. Um, but also sometimes wishing things would have been different, different. And I think retiring like puts a period at of your career, you know, it's like, it's so final. And there's so many things that I wish I could have done different. And, and it's just like, that's it. Like, okay, now it's on to the next. So I think I'm just really in that phase right now where I am, like you're saying, being very honest and that part dying, like dying to your ego. And it's just, I'm very real in that phase right now, but everything that you said, like gives me so much hope that, you know, I'm going to get there. I'm going to work through, you know, all of the things and get to that place where there is that peace, um, in it all. Yeah. Just remember every once in a while when you feel like shitty or you feel like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like go grab your gold medals, go grab all of your gold medals and be like, Oh yeah, I did this. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That is great. I love that. <laughs> and that is not the best thing that you are ever going to do. Like that's been something I've mm-hmm. had to rewire for myself too. Yeah. I always thought, well, what could get better than this? Yeah. And then I found Glennon and yeah. then I met my children and then we started this podcast. Do you want to know something really messed up? People now recognize me more for the podcast. <laughs> I am now more famous for being a podcaster than being a world champion for the United States of America. And we get so, to stay in our pajamas. So, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Just just be intentional about the life that you want to create. And yeah. you can do it. You've, you've proven you can do probably anything. Well, That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm yeah. grateful for that. Okay. We're going to ask you one last question. Um, so we call these talks mountaintop conversations. And the idea comes from Michelle Obama talking about how she's been in all the rooms. She's been to the mountaintops, you know, all the people that like we think are unbelievable. And like she sat with Beyonce and Oprah Winfrey and all the people. And she's learned and realized that they are just like us. We're capable of exceptional things. And what we need to do is not make it to the mountaintop and stay there. You need to make it to whatever that mountaintop is for you. Come back down, extend your hand, pull somebody back up with you, and then go on the journey again. Um, I, I feel the time that we, Allison and I, have really been able to spend with you two, um, it, was at a, it was at a mountaintop. It was at one of those places where, where it's weird and it's all the, all the people and all the things and you're looking around like, what is this place? You know, I think for a lot of people, it would be a mountaintop, not a moment, but that's what it looks like. That's the table, you know? Um, So our question is what have, what's one of your mountaintop moments? Well, I have learned that there are no mountaintop moments in my work that will leave me with the peace that I think that they will. So I always thought if I sell this many books, if I do the list, if I can make it to that mountaintop thing, if I am that table, if I'm that, that never, like there's never been any there there that lasts for longer than four minutes for me. So I stopped trying to, to find them there. I just try to do my best work and then don't worry too much about the outcome. 
for me as somebody who, you know, was an addict from the time I was 10 to became, till I became an adult who didn't really know if I'd ever have like a vertical life. <laughs> I was very horizontal <laughs> for a long time. For me, absolutely without a doubt, like on a Sunday morning when Abby comes downstairs and brings me coffee in bed and my two dogs are at the bottom of my bed and our teenagers one at a time stumble into our room because the first place they want to come is to hang out with us in the morning. And it's like all five of us and I know in an hour they're going to all leave because they're going to go meet their dad with Abby to go surfing. And I'm like, oh my God, like I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Like I'm maintaining relationships that are – and none of it's perfect, but like we're all still together. We're showing up for each other over and over again and we have all of this love and and that is the only sort of mountaintop that I've been able to feel that is real. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, this is going to be boring. Good luck, babe. Yeah, it's going to be boring now. Kind of nailed that one. She nailed it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) when when you know i'm i am the travel agent of our family i'm the one that plans our family um travels and vacations and experiences and stuff and so what we're trying to figure out now in terms of architecting the future we want for ourselves is not just about vacations but it's like okay when the kids go to college in three years what will our life look like and how do we want it to feel beautiful and i think that all of our conversations are wrapped around okay how do we get our kids to want to come hang out (laughs) you know and it's like of course we're going to try to like you know mommy what's the word you're like she's like a mommy magician where like yeah she, she's really good at like getting what she needs from the kids but making like, them think it's their idea yeah but like we actually yeah. my mountaintop moment is is when the kids have their own personal lives and they're still choosing to want to come spend time with us or asking us to come visit them like that's what I'm trying to build and develop right now in terms of the kind of relationships that we have with these children and the relationship that we have with each other. Yeah, that, that, that's it. It has nothing to do with business. No, I mean, I've been is. on the top of the world. I've, I've literally been on the top of every mountain that people could probably think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you step off of the freaking mountain folks and you think, where's the next mountain? And the air is really thin up there. It's like hard to breathe. You sell your soul. Everybody up there is acting like, oh, good, or we're on the mountaintop. Like it's not real. It's like. So I am going to switcheroo this question. I don't want to live on the mountaintops. Mm -hmm. I want to create a life that feels beautiful and breathable and connected and true like down in the valley yeah by the river you know glennon's name is actually the girl from the valley it's girls from glennon the girl from the oh how cool i love that thank you for that yeah. yeah 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 thank you so much for it and thank you so much for for the time and letting us talk with you thank you for teaching us um this was really incredible. We love you too. You guys are the yeah, best. You guys are the best. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like great. one day we're going to do this not on a podcast in person soon. Okay. 
<laughs> that we think the world of you yeah. and and if there's any way we can help support any of the things we're here and we're right there cheering you on both of you thank yeah. you both thanks yeah. for having us you too of course all right we'll talk okay. to you guys later Our deep thanks to the great Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach. Links to their work is in the show notes. Okay, so what do you think about Abby and Glennon? I know they're they're two of my favorites, but but what do you think? I just love the conversation. I feel like every time we talk to them, I'm learning new things, and I I just feel like it helps me in my real life. And I love that. So what what does that mean? Like what help what did you feel like you got help around? A lot of the conversation of, you know, Abby talking about the transition from being a professional athlete, you know, into the life that she's living now, um, really resonated with me. But also when they were talking about their mountaintop moments. Mm. Something that really stuck out to me was when Glennon was talking about how any professional mountaintop that she's been in has only lasted like this very short time. And it just kind of came to my mind, like I've felt that time and time again, like it's never, it's never enough. You win the gold medal and you know, you have these joyous moments and it kind of all, you go back to your regular life and it all feels the same. And so I think this idea that the mountaintop is these personal moments and when Abby talked about peace, like that just really resonated with me because I feel like it's living in that world of what really means the most to you. Um, and most times it's not always what you do and what your profession is. Yeah. Do you feel like in your transition right now, do you feel at peace? I don't feel like I'm at peace yet. I think I'm I think it's just too new. I feel like I'm still like working through the transition phase and like letting go of a life that I lived for so long and I think also like letting go of all the things that Abby was talking about like it's like this pursuit of excellence and all these things in a very concrete way. Um and something that really just just really, I don't know, it was like a gem for me was when Abby said that that's not the gold medals, like that's not the best thing that you'll do. And I think a lot of times like you think about it, it's like, no, that's, I already did like the the thing in my life. I already did, had the highest moment. And now it's kind of like, it's all kind of downhill. Like, but no, there are other moments um, that will surpass that. And I think that to me, that's like very hopeful. Yeah. What are what are some of the things that feel really hard about the transition? I know we kind of, I think, mentioned it, alluded to it in the episode, but I know like one thing that feels hard for me is I look at kind of this next wave kind of crop of young athletes and and for me, I don't feel like they, like that there's a, a res- the respect that should be there. And the respect isn't like, you don't need to be their favorite athlete. They don't need to just be like, wow, I couldn't do any of this without you, Allison. But just 
this idea that there are people who come before you that allow things to be the way that they are. Like one of the things that really stands out to me is, you know, you worked really hard. You came into the sport, you know, and and you made your initial contract was for a lot of money at the time. But if we look at it as like what some of the top athletes are getting now where you started, it was literally 10% of where they're starting in year one. So you started 10% less than where kind of some of the top female athletes are today. And you earned a medal bonus at a time, this ability to get up to a place where they then were able to walk in and your ceiling was their floor. And while, while that's beautiful, that also seems, at least to me, like it would be really frustrating. Like, and then to leave the sport and feel like they're not saying, wow, thank you so much. You really helped us to be able to have this opportunity. It feels like it's more like, yeah, hurry up and get out. Like, go, we've heard about you enough. Like, we don't need to hear about you more. Does any of that resonate with you or is that just me? No, absolutely. I think it's hard, you know, I think to have fought for a lot of the things and um, been able to accomplish them. I think it's just the sense of this generation doesn't really know any of that as well. You know, they don't really know the fight and like how hard and difficult it is. And I think the way that we were raised, like we understand that like someone did work for us to be able to get here. Mm. And so in my career, like it was always you know, extremely important for me to always acknowledge that, you know, that I know that I stand on the shoulders of all of the women and individuals who allowed me to be here, you know, like without them, without the Jackie Joyner Percy's, without Flojo, without the athletes who were not making anything or having to accept money under the table, like I don't do anything. And so that is just like never lost on me. And I think that, I think we're just kind of in a different space right now where, and so I think it's hard to kind of come to terms with like, okay, we've done all this, all these things. And I think it's amazing now that like athletes are able to come in and, you know, make an enormous amount of money compared to where things used to be. Um, and I think it's, they don't realize, you know, what it took to get there. And I think at sometimes it can feel like thankless and it can feel kind of thrown away. Um, but at the same time, I remember something that Billie Jean King said when I was talking to her and she was like, the next generation, like they're, it's always the goal that they'll have more. Like that's why we do it. And I think it's just like seeing the joy in that. But I do think like what Abby was talking about, like it's a process, you know, it's like, I'm not quite there yet, but I do believe that like, I'll do the work and I will get there. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, you know, that, that kind of leads me to a lot of the stuff that Glennon was saying and just her her vulnerability, you know, her openness around recovery, like the strength that she has there that just feels like such a beautiful, soft, quiet, like gentle strength. Um, even, you know, after we stopped recording, like I was asking her if there would be something she'd be interested in doing with us in the future. And she was just saying, you know, no, that doesn't feel comfortable right now. And I was just thinking about how hard it must be to say no to people, to choose yourself 
in it and say, this is the work, the healing, this is the journey that I'm on, that recovery journey. And to be able to, to really own that is such a beautiful thing. So to me, it's cool to hear you say, you know, you do believe that you'll, that you'll do the work and you'll get there. But also, um, I think what, what Glennon showed us was that it's going to be a constant journey. Mm-hmm. It's not just a destination. It's going to be an ongoing, an ongoing thing. Um, and that that's okay, that that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, that a lot of people okay. will learn. Mm-hmm. They'll learn with that. Yeah. It's like being okay with the moments in between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we normally do rapid fire questions. We didn't get to. So what if we do the rapid fire questions, me and you? Mm-hmm. I'll ask them. We'll both give answers. Um, I'm going to change some of these situations here because I don't think that it really matters. That's actually, no. Okay, favorite current and former soccer player. I hate player. rapid fire questions. I just like to say Yeah, that. no, you've, it's on the record. It's official. <laughs> favorite current and former soccer player, go. Uh, I mean, okay, well, Fine, I'll go. former would be easy because I would have to say Abby. Um, favorite current I mean I I hate these questions because it's like you know yeah anyways um I would say I guess Alex Morgan I think you know like what she's doing right now like just displaying like motherhood you know at that level um is a really beautiful thing and I just love seeing all the moments like with her daughter and um all the milestones that she's you know um, hitting and that she's along for the ride. So, yeah. Okay, cool. My favorite former, I'm going to go with Abby too, because she's just too great to, to not go with Abby. Um, my favorite current, um, I think this is still current. Oh, actually, no, I know exactly who my favorite current is. Trinity Rodman. That's my favorite right now. Um, okay. This, this next question that we were going to ask them, I think applies to their extreme level of fame, best fan tattoo. That was inspired by, I would imagine, Glennon's work, people that have tattooed her words on on their body. I don't think either of us have accomplished that level of success yet. So what is your, what's your favorite tattoo that you have? Um, I guess it would probably be Cammie's birthday. I have her her birth date. Um, and yeah, that would be my favorite just for, you know, all of the obvious reasons. <laughs> okay, you stole mine too, so I'll give a different answer because I also have Cammy's birthday tattooed on me. But I would say that my favorite is I have a lion on my inner arm. And uh, that lion, I have it because of a an acceptance speech that Dave Chappelle gave years ago um, where he talks about how you know, he uses his voice a lot and that he seems very outgoing. He seems very confrontational, like he's not afraid of conflict, but that inside he's really soft and that he heard from his mom that sometimes you have to be a lion in order to be the lamb that you really are. And for me, that really resonates. I feel like inside, um, I feel much more like a lamb, but outside I feel like there's there's this push to be more of a lion um, and I've been working on that so between the two of us who is the messiest me we can get, oh guess she is All right, sounds good. <laughs> um, what's your favorite part of living in California Ooh, 
probably just the weather, like that you can get to whatever, the beach, the mountains, the snow, like I just love like the versatility. Um, you just get so spoiled by the weather. Yeah, I like the idea that like things are built to be able to enjoy things outside. So like we have outdoor concert venues. To me, that's really cool that we can like listen to music outside and that's like a pretty like regular occurrence. Um, all right, last one. What is a song that's on repeat for you? Gosh, it's been a lot of Gracie's Corner in our house, um, but. That's fine, if that's the answer, that's the answer. Yeah, there has been a lot of that, but I really am enjoying SZA's new album. Um, I don't know if there's a specific song that's been on repeat, but I've just, I've enjoyed the whole thing. Cool. Um, and mine is, I was hoping I was going to have this like really cool underground answer, um, <laughs> but it's Miley Cyrus's Flowers. That is what's on repeat. I hope pretty soon it'll be Stormzy released a new song or a relatively new song called Fire Babe, where he sings. And I hope that'll make it into my repeat rotation. But right now, Smiley. <laughs> um, Allison, thank you. And thank you to all of you for spending time with us this week. We hope that as you scale your own mountaintop, you'll take time to reflect on the lessons you're learning and the opportunities you'll have to inspire others.